Well, I don't know about you, but uh, I appreciate what, what um, Pastor Chris had to say there um, about the youth retreat. It's certainly a time, if you've ever had to go on a retreat or help uh, lead a group of teens on that retreat, it's a special time. Certainly is a time where you don't get very much sleep, that's true, but uh, the reward is great. It's a time for our teens to get away, to hear from God. It really is actually, uh, if you would, a sacred space where the teens carve out time in their lives to hear from God through his word, to worship together with other teens, and really be challenged from God's word. I'm uh, always excited to hear the stories coming back from these retreats, and so hopefully you will take that challenge seriously, to be praying for our youth as they head away next weekend, Uh, and if you have the opportunity to think about one specific teen who's going on the trip, if you know one, to really lift them up in prayer, specifically, that God would be at work in their lives, a really powerful time, specifically in our youth ministry, in leading back the young people of our church to God through Jesus Christ. That's kind of what we're going to be talking about this morning, not just the the youth, but really this idea of leading someone back to God through Jesus Christ. Uh, Pastor Dave and myself are going through a short four-week series preaching through our mission statement, and I'm going to spend a little bit more time on what Pastor Dave explored with us last week of this idea of leading someone back to God through Jesus Christ. You may remember that our mission statement at Trinity uh, is that, that Trinity exists to lead people back to God through Jesus Christ and then help us become God-first believers. There's a continuity of our mission statement. It's not just leading them back to God, but helping them grow in being like Christ as well. And so we want to spend a little bit more time this morning on that first part of, of our mission statement, the leading someone back to God through Jesus Christ. Uh, we can't spend much time talking about that actually this morning without acknowledging and recognizing uh, the loss that we feel this week, but heaven's gain. Billy Graham passed away this past week after 99 years spent on this side of heaven. He was a powerful pastor and evangelist, someone who carried the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the world. They estimate that by the end of his ministry, he'd shared the gospel with over 215 million people. That's an incredible opportunity. Now, granted, he shared, oftentimes he shared the gospel in front of crowds of people, but that wasn't always the case. And, and it was uh, just a, a wonderful thing to think that you could look back in your life and realize that you've shared the gospel with that many people. He said that his purpose in life was to help people find a personal relationship with God, which he believes comes through knowing Christ. So he, he knew that the purpose that he lived his life for was helping others enter into a relationship with God, which he believes comes through knowing Jesus Christ. I would agree with that purpose statement, um, and I wish that my own purpose statement was so clear and precise as his. It's a great challenge for us. Many people are giving thanks today because of the life of Billy Graham, because they were able to hear for the first time the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, there's many younger people or many uh, people who are here because uh, their parents or their grandparents heard the gospel through Billy Graham, and now their lives are transformed as a result of it. It's such a gift to think of him and to realize that the gospel is a gift that, 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 that can be shared from life to life, from generation to generation. And if there's one thing that we can learn this morning from Billy Graham is that there aren't enough Billy Grahams in this world. There are many of us who, who need to hear God's grace and his compassion, his love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And not one of us can think or should think that because Billy Graham did it so well, none of us have to think about what role we play in leading someone back to God through Jesus Christ and helping them become a God-first believer. You know, we think about that job that that Jesus gave his disciples at the end of Matthew. 
The, the commission we oftentimes call the Great Commission, but it's really a, it's a purpose statement that Jesus gives to his disciples. He says in Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This purpose that Jesus gives his disciples is way bigger than any purpose that, that Billy Graham himself could live out and fulfill on his own. It, it, was, it was a purpose that Jesus didn't give to one of the disciples, but to all of the, the disciples. It's the reason why this is part of our mission as a church. Not that we would have one person or a couple of us thinking about how we lead someone back to God through Jesus Christ, but it's the purpose of our entire church to be thinking about how we lead those back to God through Jesus Christ, because it's too big of a job for one of us to do. To think that only one of us could do it would think too highly of our own abilities and strengths. God knew what he was doing when he gave it as a purpose statement for his entire church, for his whole people, for all of his followers. So each, each one of us this morning, I hope, is thinking about the people that God has placed in your lives. Yes, there's many ways that we can share our faith. We could stand in front of a pulpit in front of thousands of people in front of a crowd like Billy Graham did, but also there, there comes the point where you recognize that there's individuals in your life that God has placed there for a reason and for a purpose, and you have a role in coming alongside them and caring for them through Jesus Christ. This morning, I want us to consider uh, a way that we can fulfill this purpose statement, this, this mission statement as a church, as we think about the individuals in our lives. It, it's, it's what you might hear sometimes is called personal evangelism or, or, or friendship evangelism. It's that idea of sharing our faith from person to person, from life to life. And I want us to look at a passage in John chapter 4 to really consider this. I think it's a passage that, that draws this idea of, of personal evangelism to the surface. I love this story in John chapter 4. It's a story where, where Jesus interacts with this Samaritan woman by the well. What I love about this story is this isn't one of those moments where Jesus is teaching a crowd and he tells a story that illustrates a point. He, 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 he tells a story which may or may not be true. Oftentimes it's probably made up to illustrate the point that he's teaching. What happens here in John chapter 4 is not that. What happens here in John chapter 4 is Jesus just living out the purpose that his father has given him. And we get a chance to, to kind of look over his shoulder and watch him living his life. Watch him living this mission out. It's almost like as, as if we were able to, to stand next to Billy Graham as he shares his faith with others. As he gets to, to kind of interact with them and, and observe how he leads someone back to God through Jesus Christ. Well, that's what we get to see here in John chapter 4 is, as Jesus points to himself as the way, the truth, and the life to this Samaritan woman. This morning we're going to pick up in John's uh, gospel as we see Jesus' ministry unfolding. He's traveling from Judea to, to Galilee. It's about a three days journey. And in fact, uh, what we know, what we, what we could find out is that this, to go through Samaria is somewhat of a shortcut. But oftentimes, uh, because of the disagreement and the conflict between Jews and Samaritans, uh, many people, many Jews, travel around Samaria to get to Galilee from Judea. But Jesus and his disciples decide to travel through Samaria. They make an intentional choice to travel through Samaria to get to where they're going. And so where we pick up in the story is it's about noon, it's about midday, the hottest point of the day. And, and because they're tired from the journey, Jesus sits down by the well and his disciples head into the village to gather some food uh, to eat and to nourish themselves. And what happens is this woman comes across the well, comes to the well to gather water and interacts with Jesus. Pay attention to how Jesus approaches her, how he draws near to her with grace and compassion. I picture 
this idea of, of leading someone back to God uh, through Jesus Christ, less than a step-by-step rigid process, although there are certain steps we need to be aware of, there are certain things we need to pay attention to to, to be able to communicate the gospel. We, we certainly need to know that we're communicating the truth of God to the, to the people we desire to lead back to God through Jesus Christ. But rather than say, well, okay, I told them who Jesus Christ is, uh, I told them that we're all sinners, and, and so now I'm going to invite them to pray, rather than say I've done steps one and two, so now it's time to do step three, I think it's a little bit less uh, rigid. I think it's a little bit more fluid. It's a little bit like performing a dance. In a dance, you, you, you have two parties. You have one who approaches, who, who, who asks if, invites into the other person into a dance. It's a bit more of moving forward and backward. It's a bit more of paying attention to the other person that you're dancing with. It's a bit more of attentiveness to that person you're in, engaged in a dance with, right? And, and I think that this morning as we think about uh, how Jesus is leading this woman back to God through himself, uh, we, uh, I would like to challenge us, I'd like to encourage us to keep in mind this picture of a dance, of going a back and forth, a, a, a more of a fluid relationship than a rigid process. And so let's look at John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. I'm actually going to pick up in verse 7. It's a longer passage for us, so, so buckle up. We're going to move through the passage, hopefully, um, quick enough to capture the whole picture. Uh, but there's a lot here. And so I want us to capture the, the big picture of what Jesus is doing in this, in this narrative. Let me read for us from John chapter 4. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, and as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that, the, that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I stand here acknowledging the fact that your word is life. We desire to hear from you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work in our hearts and our minds to see you, to see how you've revealed yourself to us through this passage here in John chapter 4. 
May we experience your love and your grace and your forgiveness this morning as we worship you in your word. Guide us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the dance begins pretty quickly in our first few verses of our passage. After a long journey, Jesus sits down by the well with this, to, to uh, rest, and the Samaritan woman draws near. Uh, on the surface of our passage, it appears that, that this woman is the one who approaches Jesus. But I would challenge us to look a little bit closer. I would encourage us to look at a little bit closer at these first few verses of, of the passage where, where we're told that a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Or Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. We're told that the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. See, in these first few verses, Jesus challenges the cultural customs of the day. He, he breaks down walls and in his actions communicates to this woman that she is not invisible. So we have to ask, why did this woman come to the well alone? For those who have looked at this passage before, you've probably heard the, the discussion that oftentimes when women went to the well to gather water, it was usually in the early morning or late in the evening when it was coolest, the, the cooler parts of the day. Not only that, but they oftentimes traveled in groups. They very rarely traveled alone. And so we have to ask the question, why is this woman alone going to the well at the hottest time of day? Most unusual thing for a woman to do. We know from later on in the passage that, that this woman, when confronted by Jesus, uh, has had five husbands, and the man she's with now is not her husband. Now, we don't know the circumstances of why she's had five husbands. We're not told if, if she divorced five men and, and is now not with a, a man, has decided to give up on marriage. We don't know if, if her five husbands have died. We don't know the circumstances at this point. What we do know is that this woman has felt enough guilt and shame to decide to, to go to the well at the hottest point of the day, to go there when, when she figured other people wouldn't be there and she wouldn't have to interact with people. Most likely, this woman has, is very clear with a sense of, of a burden of guilt and shame. She's feeling rejected and alone, shamed by her own people. Her soul is thirsty. And then Jesus speaks up. Jesus breaks down these walls that we talk about, these cultural walls, sorry, these, these social traditions, maybe even these religious traditions that are up. Jesus breaks them down and draws near to her to remind this one, to tell this one, make clear to her that she is not invisible. Regardless of her past, she is not invisible. And so Jesus draws near to her. He's not repelled by her shame. He doesn't feel that it's necessary to stay away from her because her life is messy. Jesus draws near to the woman at the well. well what about us? How do we respond to people in our lives whose lives are messy? Do we pass judgment on them? Do we kind of say, well, you know, they're there in that place because they made some decisions that, that, that led them there. It's their own responsibility. Do we kind of stand back and say, I don't have the time to deal with that mess. That's too difficult. I don't know what to do. Do we do, we do our best to make sure that they're aware of why they should feel guilty and ashamed? Do we feel like it's important for us to tell them what they've done is wrong? Or do we begin, do we make that first step by drawing near with grace and compassion? Do we, do we draw near and remind them that they are not invisible, that they aren't unclean? To lead someone back to God through Jesus Christ 
begins with grace. It starts when we draw near to them where they are at. Not where we think they should be, but where they're at. And so Jesus draws near to the woman at the well and asks her for a drink. And then in drawing near, he invites her to draw near to him. He, he invites her to, to come forth and, and, and to, to draw near. It's a more gentle give and take. He doesn't demand it. He invites her. He makes the opportunity available. Listen to verses 10 through 12. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from himself, as did his sons and his livestock. See, I think it's interesting, but, but, to, but to notice that the woman doesn't really understand what Jesus is saying here. See, Jesus is pointing out the fact that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He's pointing to something beyond what her eyes are seeing. He's making the point that, that in him there is new life and her past is forgiven. In him there is acceptance. Earlier in John chapter 3, verse 5, while talking to Nicodemus, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. See, Jesus is pointing out that there is something significant that needs to be addressed in a person's life, and that can only be addressed by God himself through his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit, which brings new life, born from above of the Holy Spirit, born of water and spirit. And so this living water is not something that you can tangibly see with your eyes, but only available to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus wants to remove the burden that weighs so heavily on her heart. He wants to give her this new life through living water. That's the point he's trying to make. But she only notices the tangible or the temporary things. She only notices what she can see with her physical eyes right now. For those of us we think of in our lives, oftentimes we want to tell them, hey, Jesus Christ paid the, paid the cost for your sins on the cross. That's true. They need to hear that. They need to understand that for themselves. But we also need to listen into them. We need to be attentive to, to what's going on in their lives. We need to pay attention to understand where their heart and their mind is at and what they see with their eyes and with their heart at this moment. He doesn't, uh, she, the woman at the well, she, she, she sees with her physical eyes right now. She's not seeing the, the eternal things. She's seeing the temporal, the, the tangible things, the things that are fading. She says things like, she, like he, he doesn't have a bucket. How could he get water? He doesn't, he doesn't have a bucket. How, how can he give me li this living water? The well is too deep for him to, to just climb in and reach and get, get some out. She says things like, where do you get this living water from? Most likely she had in mind this idea of the living water being this flowing stream or a brook. You know, living water where it's not just this, this sterile or this, uh, this, this calm pond or collection of water like a puddle, but flowing water. She didn't realize that Jesus was speaking of the spiritual, the soul level, the eternal things. We often approach these situations seeing the problem and wanting to fix it. Oh, she doesn't get it. Let me, let me correct her. I'm not talking about the, a flowing stream. I'm talking about God. We oftentimes think we, we, can, we can tell someone, we can correct them, we can, we, can, we can teach them why they're wrong and why we're right. But notice the dance. Notice how Jesus and this woman at the well interact. She pushes back on Jesus. You're not greater than, than Jacob, are you? You don't have a bucket. You don't have any way of gathering up this water. She sees with eyes focused on this world. 
Jesus wants to help her see with eyes set on eternity. He, he wants to help her see with her heart and not just with her eyes. But this requires that Jesus would listen compassionately to her, to meet her where she's at. Pay attention to his response to, to, to her, which flows out of this listening. He says in verses 13 and 14, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He he doesn't belittle her for not getting it. He he doesn't say, oh, oh, poor little girl, You, you you don't understand what I'm saying. He doesn't argue with her or tell her that she's wrong. He doesn't treat her condescendingly. He doesn't need to argue with her, put her, put her down, or prove why he's right, because this is not an argument to win. The only thing that needs winning her, here is her soul to the family of God. Instead, Jesus speaks to the hunger and the thirst of her soul. Every person's heart, every person's soul searches to quench a, a deep hunger and thirst at a level we oftentimes can't even pinpoint just by going through our day, day by day. The problem is that that nothing this world has to offer can quench that thirst. I imagine if we actually gave ourselves space and time to reflect, to think about these things, we would begin to notice that nothing this world has to offer can, can satisfy our soul, can quench our thirst. By the way, this is why going away on a youth retreat is so important for our young people. They're bombarded by noises in this world. They need that space to go away, to unplug, to have the space to reflect on what it is that their soul truly longs for. The actor uh, Jim Carrey, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's a comedian and who's acted in many movies. He, uh, he once said, uh, talked about this, this soul-level hunger and thirst like this. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it is not the answer. Right? I mean, think about that. We oftentimes, we live our days wanting to have satisfaction. I want to get through my day and feel like I've accomplished something at the office. I want to get through the day and feel like the house is in order. I mean, I have three young children at home. We clean up one room, and then we look the other way, and the other room is a mess. So we go clean up that room, and we look back, and the room we just cleaned is a mess. There's no way to be on top of that. There's no way to feel satisfied that our house is in order, physically speaking. <laughs> Hopefully we can pursue God in such a way that our house is spiritually in order. There's a certain hunger, a certain thirst that can only be satisfied through Jesus Christ. God proclaims something similar in, in, through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 55 of Isaiah's book. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, he who has no money, come, buy and eat, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of just noticing it now as I'm reading it out loud to us again. Do you hear that? the many times that come is the invitation? Come. How do we help someone hear that invitation to Come. How do we help them get there where they can hear, not with their physical eyes, but with their hearts, Jesus' invitation to come? 
Isaiah here was anticipating a time when God would make it possible to quench the thirst of our souls as we accept this invitation in him to come. And this invitation is given to the whole world in Jesus Christ. Jesus compassionately invites the woman to, to, to unashamedly draw near to him, to come, to drink of the well, to quench her thirst for forgiveness and new life. Are we noticing the give and take of this dance? It's not just presenting someone with the facts and then letting them figure it out from there by, by themselves. It, it's this compassionate listening, attentive listening to the person. This, this give and take, listening to them, responding them to them at, at the point where they're at in their life with how Jesus' gospel meets them where they're at. It's a give and take, a fluid movement. Jesus draws near, and when, when she withdraws in confusion, right, remember, you don't have a bucket. Are you greater than Jacob? How, how, where's, show me where this living water is. When, when she withdraws in confusion, Jesus lis, listens compassionately and invites her to draw near to him with a more direct invitation. Sometimes our confusion and our misunderstandings cause us to pull away from God. We need someone to walk with us long enough to help us understand why God is doing what he's doing in our lives Sometimes people have these challenges where it's hard to understand God because my will just won't allow me to surrender to him. Sometimes it is a matter of the mind. I just can't understand a God who would, who would do this like that. Sometimes it's just a matter of actually being able to hear the gospel, to hear the invitation. Jesus compassionately waits with her. He listens. The dance is not done, though. Compassionate listening is needed and an even bolder invitation. Listen to the next verses in our passage. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. See, the Samaritan woman is still not understanding Jesus clearly. She, she's still thinking that, 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 that somehow he's not talking about anything other than what she can see with her eyes. There's a veil over her heart and mind. She's still thinking with, with a worldly mind that somehow this water that will quench her, she'll never have to come back this well is there, this, this magical water. She's not thinking at a soul level. But, but, what, I, but what I wonder is how can, how can pinpointing her past how can pointing out her sin help her to understand what Jesus really means? How can pointing out the very thing that causes the other women to reject her and to stay away actually help us to understand what Jesus is saying to her? How can it help her to understand what Jesus is inviting her into? See, she doesn't seem too eager to, to share the intimacies of her life with him. When Jesus asks her to go to get her husband, she tells the truth. But she keeps hidden the parts that she's uncomfortable with. The things in our lives that separate us from God are hidden deep down within. They're hidden in those more dark, intimate places of our soul where, where we don't necessarily share that with everyone in our lives. We don't share that with the people around us. It's here where sin resides. Sure, we may see the fruit of sin. We may see anger. We may see lust. We, we may see pride. We may see arrogance. We may see the fruit of our sin... But the root of that sin is hidden deep down within, a place we don't often share with other people very much. 
Jesus knew that when, when he was talking with this Samaritan woman, he understood that, that what he needed to do to help her see with an eternal eye, with, a, with her heart rather than just her physical eyes, he needed to get at the root of things. He knew that in order for her to truly quench the thirst of her soul, she would need to surrender in the deeper, more intimate places of her heart. Even though it may not seem so, Jesus is drawing even closer to this woman with great compassion. Now, I think when we read through this passage, we have to be careful not to read the, the scriptures with our own assumptions, right? To come, come to the text with, with our own eyes and interpreting through our own, our own experience. I think we have to be careful of that. Because I think if we were to read this passage with, those, with that view, we might assume that calling out this woman's sin would be judgmental, would be anything but compassionate. Maybe even it would be condescending. But let's not forget that, that Jesus is drawing near to her when no one else will. Jesus draws near because he wants her to drink from the well of eternal life. He wants to remove the guilt that she carries so deep within, the, 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 the burden of the shame that she tries to hide. He knows that only when she can truly see the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ, when she can, when she can see Jesus' embrace, his acceptance of her in the light of her own sin and her shame, only then can she embrace the gift that Jesus is offering her. Now, for you and I, this is a very tricky part of the relationship, right? Many of people have been hurt or offended at this stage in a relationship. If someone has invited you into that place in their life where they sh share those deeper matters, those more intimate things, don't take that for granted, please. Don't treat that lightly. Don't rush to, to show them and tell them what they've done wrong. It's not a place that we should take for granted. It's not, a, not just a chance to point out their sin. It's, it's an opportunity to help them see what's keeping them from enjoying the life that God has for them. That requires compassion. That, that requires attentive listening to them, to understanding where their heart is at, to understanding, understanding where they've been in their life and how they're, they've arrived where they're at. This is not a chance to sound smarter or better than them. It's a chance to compassionately help them understand that, that Jesus loves them and wants to work in their lives. I want to encourage us, remember this. Remember that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, not you. Jesus is the one who takes away the sin of the world, not you. But let's keep take, paying attention to the relationship as it continues. When Jesus puts more language to the truth that she has no husband, it makes her uncomfortable. Listen in verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman feels uncomfortable with the fact that Jesus has, has revealed, has brought into the light the things that she's tried to keep hidden in darkness. And then what she does, she tries to shift his attention. My daughter does this excellently. Eliza's only two, but she has this way of showing up with this huge smile on her face, this look on her face, and I know that she's trying to distract me from something. Her father's a smart guy, 
So I know when she faces me with that, with that, that face, oh, there it is. When she looks at me like that, she's up to something. I know she's trying to distract me, to, to, to get me to think about something else, right? Just yesterday morning, she came into my room with that big smile with her hands behind her back. And when I found out, she had a big fistful of yogurt, which you really can't have a fistful of yogurt, which was my concern, as it dripped down onto the floor. And I don't know how long she got, I don't know how she got into it, which says something else about my parenting. But, but what, what we need to understand is that, that man, she, she feels that at the very core of her soul, that, that she's got she's to she's distract me. She's got to divert my attention away from something. Right? She knows, she knows how to do that. Even at two, it's amazing. It's astounding. She'll have this big, beautiful smile on her face while she's got some chocolate or scissors or yogurt behind her back. It's very frightening growing up in my house right now. <laughs> See, the, the Samaritan woman, she turned to a theological debate to distract attention away from what felt very uncomfortable to her. Because of this division between the Jews and the Samaritans, they they didn't get along. There was this debate as to where true worship would actually happen. Does it happen here on Mount Gerizim where the Samaritans say it is? Or does it happen in Jerusalem? She thinks, well, maybe if I talk, you know, I'm going to present this this theological debate. That will get him drooling. He can't, I I know he can't resist the opportunity to debate with me about where true worship is. That will divert his attention. That will get him off of this, this place of deep intimacy of my soul that hurts or that feels so uncomfortable. It was a debate that had been ongoing, and Jesus, masterfully so, responds to her distraction with a deflection. Jesus doesn't allow him to be distracted by this this conversation, but I I believe his love and his concern for the Samaritan woman keeps him focused on her. She's his attention, not sounding smarter, not correcting what, what may be was, was, is wrong, or not maybe, but what is wrong, his focus and his attention remain on her, on her soul, on caring for her. He says that, uh, that, that it's not a matter of, of Mount Gerizim or Jerusalem. That's, that's going to be no longer relevant shortly. In fact, the time has come where that's not going to be relevant. See, Jesus doesn't argue with her. His point is not to be distracted or to win the argument, but to reveal God to her. He doesn't list all the reasons why Samaritans are wrong. He doesn't start quoting scripture as to to why the true place of worship is in Jerusalem and not on Mount Gerizim. Jesus does point out to her some truths. What he does point out to her is that God is working out his plan for creation. He's breaking down the walls between Jew and Gentile. He's providing a way for all mankind to be in relationship with him, to live a life of worship, not just be in a place of worship. In John's gospel, the coming hour refers to the hour when when Jesus would be crucified, when he would die on the cross and would defeat the grave and come back to life. You can imagine that when Jesus talks about this, he has in mind that promise that he'll give his disciples that his Holy Spirit would be with them. This day of Pentecost when, when he would pour out his spirit on all his followers who would worship God in spirit and truth. Jesus himself being that truth. No longer would worship be in God's, God's temple or in, uh, sorry, no longer would worship in God's presence be confined to a specific temple or a specific place, but would be found in the heart of every believer. That we worship, when we gather, we gather to worship God in spirit and truth. His spirit is here among us as we worship him through song, through prayer, through his word, as we come around his truth, Jesus Christ revealed to us through the scriptures. 
Again, if we, if we look closely here, I think we see a compassionate invitation to this Samaritan woman. Rather than an argument, rather than a response, he invites her to draw near. With her guilt and hurt still fully in view, Jesus invites her to consider this new life of worship as something available to her. So far, Jesus has been gentle. He's been patient. He's been compassionate. He's been anything but condescending towards this woman. He's only drawn near to her. He's listened to her. He's invited her to draw near to him. When she felt uncomfortable, he stepped back. He stayed there and drew near again. But now Jesus gets more direct. Listen to verse 25 and 26. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At some point in our relationship with people, we'll need to show them Jesus. At some point in our relationship with people, we're going to need to point out the way, the truth, and the life. Who he is. Where he is. The one who offers living water. At some point, we're going to need to let go and let the other person lead in the dance. We're going to need to let them make some decisions. We're going to need to let them make a choice here. Jesus handed over the lead dance role to the Samaritan woman when he said, I who speak to you am he. At some point, we're going to need to let the, the people in our lives make those choices for themselves like Jesus allows this Samaritan woman. Hey, I'm, I'm going to present you with the truth. I'm going to be here compassionately and graciously, but you need to know that I can't make this decision for you. I who speak to you am he, the Christ, the Messiah. At some point, we're going to need to give them the space to decide, do they believe that this is true? We're going to need to create a space where they can reflect, where they can think for themselves and decide, can they believe that this is going to be true, that this is true? Up to this point in the relationship, we've gently and compassionately helped them overcome what hurdles they're facing in drawing near to God. They may have significant hurts in their life that, that just make it too difficult to believe. They may have more questions to ask. They may just not have the will to believe. Life is too comfortable for them to surrender their heart to Jesus. All we can do is continue to dance with them until they're ready to lead in the dance and make the decision for themselves. So the question for us this morning, as we think of our mission statement, the question for us as individuals is, will you dance? Will you pray and ask God who it is that he's inviting you to form a relationship with? And once he shows you who this person is, remember what your dance moves are. Draw near. Draw near to their lives. Listen well to their story. Point them to the source of life and invite them to drink of his love and his forgiveness. I want to invite Brittany to, to come back up and she's going to play another song for us. It's the song that we sang just a few moments ago, Come to the Altar. And this, uh, this first verse in that song goes like this. Are you hurting and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. See, there are people in this world who are hungry, who are thirsty, but they don't know that there is a well that offers them living water. They need someone in their life who will point to these words, 
who, who will point them to the fact that there is a way, a truth, and a life that, that offers them living water, new life, that, that takes the guilt and the burden and the weight of their sins off their shoulders and gives them hope in a future, hope in a new life. Trinity, this is why we exist. We exist to lead people back to God through Jesus Christ. And so as Brittany sings this song, my hope is that, that this would be a time for us to spend quietly in prayer. That this would be a time where, where, where you can meet with God, with the Lord in prayer, and let him speak to where you're at this morning. Maybe it's you who needs to hear that invitation to draw near to the well that offers this living water to Jesus Christ himself. Maybe it's a time where you could just spend a few moments thinking, who's the one person that you can be intentional about in forming your relationship with them, to draw near to them, to listen to them, and to invite them to understand where the gospel intersects with their life. Whatever it is that God wants to speak to you about, take the time to listen to him now. We're going we're gonna to have a moment of this reflection, and then afterwards I'm going to come up and close this in prayer. But, but see this as an invitation for you to spend a few moments quietly reflecting with the Lord.